Lord, we are grateful for what you have done for us. Our heart's desire, as we just sang that song, is that we would be nearer unto you, that we would be drawn and nearer unto you. I thank you for the words of that song, and I do pray that it would express the longings of our heart, Lord, that we would, Lord, to be nearer to you, to draw nearer to you. Lord, I pray that you would accomplish that. I pray that our times of gathered worship would accomplish that, draw us nearer unto our great God and Savior. I pray that our times of fellowship as we interact with one another, as, as iron sharpens iron, as we lift one another up in prayer, as we, we check in on one another, as we pray for one another, I pray that we would draw nearer unto you. I pray that as the word is taught, that we would be equipped, that we would know you better. As we know your word better, Lord, we know you better, and that brings us closer to you. All of this is possible through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ upon that cross. Our rock and our redeemer. The one who has paid the ultimate price, the ultimate sacrifice that we might have life. I thank you for these things. I thank you that Jesus Christ is the great shepherd of our souls. And that we can go and look unto him for our comfort, for our solace, for our strength, for our encouragement, knowing that Jesus will never leave us or forsake us, and that he is with us even unto the end of the age. Praise you, and we thank you for all of these truths. Lord, our heart's desire is to see Pillar Fellowship established for the sake of your name, for the sake of the gospel of Christ, for the sake of your glory. Lord, we know that there is a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It is our heart's desire that there to be more individuals from this region in which you have placed us in the world that would make that confession from faith, make that confession in humble obedience to you, make that confession in joy and not in terror. So I pray that as we reach out with the gospel of Jesus Christ, I pray that you would soften hearts to the gospel. Lord, we have distributed hundreds, if not thousands, of pieces of literature bringing the gospel to our community. We have participated in different avenues seeking to bring the gospel to our community through open-air preaching or through uh, tract distribution, through our door-to-door canvassing. Lord, we want to see fruit from these things. We want to we develop relationships within our community. Lord, we want to get to know other individuals that we can impact with the truth of the gospel of Christ that more might hear the word of God and the gospel from our lips so that more would believe in the truth that there is no salvation found in anyone else, for there is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved except in the name of Jesus Christ and him alone, so that we may all follow you together as we learn how to walk faithfully unto you. I pray, Lord, that you would accomplish these things. I pray that you would use us. I pray that you would be glorified through the ministries here. Lord, I do ask for your wisdom. 
I thank you for the, the meetings that were held yesterday, and I thank you for the conversations that were held. And Lord, I do pray that as we continue to refine and think through different areas of ministry and how we can take steps forward and, and do things uh, better and more faithfully unto you and to your word, I pray that you would guide and direct pray that you would grant Jim and Phil and myself and Henry, grant us all wisdom as we talk through these things and reason through and, and seek to, to make adjustments and tweaks so that we would be faithful in the ministry to which you have called us. I pray that you do these things for the sake of your name, for the sake of your glory. Lord, our hope and our prayer is, is yes, that we would see Pillar Fellowship established and that the gospel would go forward in our community here in southern Indiana. But Lord, we have, we have bigger aspirations even than that, Lord. If you would be so gracious, if you would be so kind, if, if your will would be accomplished in this way, Lord, we, our desire is that the ministry of Pillar Fellowship would extend beyond this region of America through the support of missionaries around the world. We want to we send individuals, we want to raise up and train and send out individuals with the gospel to different regions around the world who have yet to hear the gospel of Christ, who have yet to, to have the word of God translated into their language. We want to see churches planted ar- across the United States and around the world that are going to be faithful to proclaim the gospel of Christ, faithful to disciple believers in the truth. I pray that you would accomplish that. Pray that you would just strengthen us, Lord, raise us up that we may see this vision accomplished, that the gospel would go forth in our community and around the world through missionaries that we support. Lord, we have missionaries that we pray for faithfully. We are not yet at a place to support financially, but we pray. We pray for the Frasers in Indonesia. We pray for the Dans in Hungary. We pray for the Nikams as they hope to return to China, Lord, as you would open up those doors of opportunity for that. Our heart's desire is that the gospel would continue to go forth from them, that they would be faithful to the, to the ministry areas in which you have called them, and that you would keep them from error, keep them from sin, they would honor you throughout their lives. Lord, I do now pray for Henry. I thank you so much for him. I, I, I just pray that as he brings your word today, that you give him great clarity as he speaks. I pray that your spirit would be powerfully at work today, that we would see the truth of your word, that it would resonate within us, and that we would Order our lives to be in accordance with your word. Lord, challenge us where we need to be challenged. Strengthen us where we need to be strengthened. Encourage us, Lord, where we are weak. Do all this for your glory. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, Henry's going to come and bring us the word today. Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to be back with you and to worship with you today here at Pillar Fellowship. Uh, We did have good meetings yesterday. Uh, The leadership team uh, met with me, and uh, there are going to be a number of of, uh, 
plans and rollouts that are going to come in, in weeks and months ahead. Uh, but one of the things that I want to engage your church to do right now, as those things are all being laid out and as uh, we set goals for ministry development and how we can best minister not only to you as the flock that God has already gathered as Pillar Fellowship, but I want you to begin praying about others that are out in this community that need what this church is offering to them. And not just in terms of the message of the gospel, certainly that's first and foremost. People need to be, be found, right? They need to be, those lost souls need to be brought to Christ. But once they come to Christ, they also need to recognize that they need to be part of a body that is going to help them to grow in their spiritual walk. If they're going to begin their spiritual life in Christ, they need to know how to walk in that life. And, and learning the truth of God's Word and having the commitment that your pastor has and that you have as a body, as a, as a, as a congregation of God's people, uh, is exactly what so many households in this community need. And they, they need your church. They need your church like they need almost no other church in the community. Uh, not that we hold a corner on truth or anything like that. That is not what I'm saying. What I am saying, though, is that we who know the truth certainly want to give, be giving the truth to those households. So I'm going to exhort you as a congregation to make it a regular part of your prayer life on behalf when you're praying for the ministry of the church you make a part of your prayer request praying to reach the next household for Christ we want to touch that next household in Jeffersonville because when you reach that next household you win them you befriend them they become part of your family here at, at Pillar Fellowship you can still pray that request the very next day now we want to pray for the next household to be one to Christ and, and to be brought into the fellowship. So make that a regular prayer request to, that we might touch and reach the next household in Jeffersonville, all right? So you make that a regular part of your, of your devotional life, your prayer life, and maybe that'll be a good theme for you to be thinking about in days ahead. Uh, I've been uh, uh, traveling a great deal. I'm at the tail end of my fall tour. <laughs> I have been in seven different states in the last two months. It's been crazy schedule. Uh, it's been fruitful ministry, uh, necessary ministry in some cases. We've done a few of our health assessments and uh, ministry, and especially in a church in Iowa that is in great need right now. So you can be praying for a brother church over in that state, uh, but visiting other plants around uh, the ministry. We did suffer a, a, a somewhat of a loss at Summit Bible Church. This is our bilingual church plant up near Chicago. Uh, one of the longtime members who was the financial secretary, the officer in the church on our steering committee, he passed away. Been in poor health for quite some time, but that's left this huge gap of uh, record keeping and things. And so tomorrow I'll be in Summit, Illinois, uh, helping to reconstruct the financial documents. He had a computer that was almost as old as I am. <laughs> uh, let's, let's put it this way. Um, that, that when they, it, it wasn't in an entire room to house it, <laughs> but it's about that old. Uh, in fact, uh, the records were being kept on a copy of 2002 Quicken program. Uh, so that's how old it was. Uh, so that is, a, that is a software that is... Um, 
um, it, 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 quite a little bit, yeah, and then some, right? You know, uh, it, it was probably, you know, it's probably what you would call vintage, <laughs> antique. <laughs> so um, we, we, I was able to get it open, by the way. That was really the strange thing. The computer shut down, but we were able to, to recover the files and get them open. So we're going to begin reconstruction of that tomorrow. So those are just some of the journeys that we have to take in, in doing church planting. Um, but we're excited about that church. There are 30 people that attend the Spanish service on, at 9.30, and then about 30 others that attend uh, the English service on, uh, at 11. And the pastor preaches the same message in both languages. So how about that? That's a, it's a unique thing. Uh, he's actually not the pastor. He's a resident. I'm, I'm his mentor right now, and he's being groomed to become the pastor. Uh, so those are just some of the adventures that we have in church planting right now, and uh, you can be in prayer for us as we, uh, we get wrapped up uh, on Friday. I'm deep frying a 25-pound turkey, and I am so excited. My family will be with me, and we'll have a great time. we got 16 coming, so uh, uh, just looking forward to a good week to wrap up the fall tour. But that's, uh, that's life for the Vosbergs, and you can be in prayer for us on that. Uh, but uh, right now it's time to get to the Word, so let's do that. Uh, I want you to find 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to introduce some things to you. I'm going to refer to another passage to lead us there, but that will be our first stop this morning, 1 John chapter 2, and then we'll be looking at some other passages. My theme this morning is what we do while we wait. What we do while we wait. And hopefully you can kind of sense that uh, as Christians, we are in this world, we're waiting for something special to happen. We're waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ to, to uh, descend from the heavens. And with the voice, with the shout, and the archangel, the trump of God, he's going to call us home to be with him. And yet, we don't know when that day is. It's fixed. It's fixed in God's timetable, but we don't know what day that is. And therefore, what we're doing while we're here in this world, we're waiting for that to happen. And it's an interesting word, wait. Uh, to kind of kick us off on this concept of waiting, or this idea, the topic of waiting, uh, I go back to the Psalms, and I go back to chapter 27, or Psalm 27, verse 14, where we find these words at the end of this particular uh, uh, Saul, Psalm of David. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Now that's the last words of that psalm. As I said before, he, David is voicing his heart's cry to God for strength, for boldness, as he's actually seeking refuge in the presence of the Lord. His, his enemies, uh, they, are, they, are ri- they have risen up against him, and they were fearful indeed. They evoked trouble, even to the point where David was uh, uh, potentially fainting at the danger that these men possessed or uh, presented, rather. Uh, And yet, rather than locking his eyes on the enemy, on the offensive that was against him, David's eyes are fixed upward. He expresses confidence in the Lord, the God of his salvation. Now, he didn't know Paul's New Testament words that were later recorded, but he certainly believed them. If God be for us, can you finish it? Who can be against us, right? Okay? He may not have known those words, but he believed them. 
and no matter what circumstances we face, no matter how handcuffed we may be by life with all of its unexpected turns and twists, we still have this constant that's in our lives. This constant, this steady, this rock. His name is Jesus Christ, our Savior, our God. He never changes. Same yesterday and today and forever. He still saves. He still delivers. He still commissions us to proclaim the gospel. And we give ourselves to that mission. We give ourselves knowing that the certainty of the promise is that Jesus is coming again. And on that day, he's going to receive us to himself that where he is, there we will be also. And therefore, we do not faint. Instead, we take that courage. We have that in his strength. We will prevail in fulfilling his purposes as we await that coming day. Now, let me personalize wait a little bit for you. Um, I don't know about you. But when it comes to the idea of waiting, I confess that's not in my wheelhouse. <laughs> okay. Waiting is, is tough for me. I read David's words, wait on the Lord, and I say, okay, good, I can wait. But while I'm waiting, what do I do in the meantime? How do I occupy myself? How am I, how am I going to do this? Because I've never been a guy to let grass grow under my feet or sit still for too long. Uh, I've been in enough waiting rooms. Some of you know my health journey and stuff. Believe me, I know waiting rooms. Uh, and, and if I'm going to a waiting room, I know it's best that I take a book with me or I have my laptop with me to do some business while I'm there. Uh, because I don't do idle, <laughs> okay? I, I, my idler, there is no such thing as an idler in Henry's body. Uh, and so I am much relieved. I'm very glad to know that there are clear verses in Scripture that teach us that waiting on the Lord does not mean that we just stand idly by, okay? We're not getting our white gowns on and standing on hillsides like people of the past, waiting for the rapture to come. Uh, no, there are good and fruitful things that we are to do while we wait on the return of Jesus Christ. And I want to take us to four passages that teach us that. Again, my title, What We Do While We Wait. All right, I have you at 1 John chapter 2 for our first passage. Go down to verse 28. That will be where we find words from the man who is known as the beloved disciple. It was recorded at the end of the first century. And that means these are some of the very last words that we have recorded in the New Testament. And here we read in verse 28, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Now flip over to chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And here's the kicker. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. And from those words, we discover the first thing that we do while we wait. Item number one, we become more like our Savior. We become more like our Savior. Note the fact of the Lord Jesus appearing. It's the word or the phrase, when he appears, it's expressed twice in these verses. 
And as awesome as a truth that is, John does not make that statement as just a doctrinal observation about the future. No, he he distinctly connects this future event, the appearance of Jesus, to a present response in our life. Jesus is coming again, and that's to mean something for us now. Okay? In verse 28, chapter 2, it says we are to abide in him. We are to remain in personal spiritual fellowship with Christ so that on the day he comes for us, we're actually going to meet him and we'll do it in a condition. We'll do it with the condition of being confident and not with shame. And how do we make sure that that happens for us? How do we do that, John? Well, we do, how do we meet the Lord with confidence and not shame? Well, he tells us in chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. When he, when he appears, he will come in his fullness. We shall see him as he is. Full disclosure, full transparency. Verse 3 even says that this promise is our hope. And then John adds that if that hope is truly in us, then we're going to prepare for that meeting by purifying ourselves, even as Jesus is pure. So we see that part of what we are to do while we wait is to become more like the Savior who is coming to receive us to himself. I mean, the return of Jesus, it's, it's something that we rightly celebrate, right? Amen? I mean, aren't some of the favorite old-time hymns about the coming of the Lord? I mean, you got to dig back into the hymn book for some churches <laughs> to kind of revive some of these. But there was coming again. In fact, I didn't do that right. You have to sway when you do that. Coming again, coming again. Am I, am I, is that one not familiar? Okay. <laughs> how about this one? Last verse of How Great Thou Art. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Right, okay. Um, this one's a little more my pace. Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. Okay, right? I mean, he's coming back. Uh, the first doctrines that I came to know after being saved, uh, I, was, I came to Christ at 16 years old in uh, Woodstock Bible Church in northern Illinois. The, they were the prophetic truths about our destiny, our, our, the rapture, the rewards of the Bema Seat, the marriage supper, the second coming, his millennial kingdom, new heavens, new earth, the eternal condition, uh, the, the new Jerusalem, dwelling with him for eternity. These are great future events. I mean, what's not to celebrate about those things? Well, there's something. There is something. Because John brings up a pretty sobering reality. The potential exists for us being ashamed when he comes. You think about that? We can party over all these end times promises all we want. But if we fail to be engaged in a life that is progressing in Christ-likeness, we effectively make the coming of the Lord strictly a biblical fact or a technicality that's void of any accountability within us. He says these things are going to happen. Yes, that's true. But we want to be confident when we see him, not ashamed. That means we have to respond to that reality. We can't be neutralized from spiritual impact in our lives by those truths. Knowing that at any moment we could meet our Savior, we're going to, we're going to order our lives so that each day we're taking one more step toward being like him. That means that right now, I'm not all the way there yet. There must still be some kind of a gap between me and Christ's likeness. My condition right now is where it is, 
okay, that's fine. This is my progress. But I'm not like Jesus yet. That means there's ground for me to cover spiritually that, needs to be, that I need to travel. I need to become more like Him yet. When John tells us to abide in Him, he's urging us to grow in our fellowship with Him. Our knowledge of Jesus, it's to expand. Our love for Jesus, it is to deepen. Our lives are to become better mirrors of His own. You see, there are days, and you have to admit this, there are days in our, when our mirrors lose the ability to reflect Christ because we got to smudging our glass. We're playing around in the mire of an old life or something, and, and that's what's happening. We're clouding the mirror. The moment of His appearance, if our glass isn't clean, we're going to be ashamed and not confident. Therefore, part of what we do while we wait on the Lord is we become more like the one who saved us. We purify ourselves even as He is pure. If Jesus returned today, would you be confident or would you be ashamed? And if you aren't really sure or you can't answer that question, then just make a determination. Let today be the start of a closer walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing that we are to do while we, are, while we await. We become more like our Savior. Now let's flip over to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. Let's visit another passage that tells us about what to do while we wait. In Luke 19, we have the famous parable of the pounds. So Luke 19, if you will, and go on down, if you will, to verse 11, and I'll start reading there. 19.11 says, And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable, because he was nigh to Jerusalem, and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds, and he said unto them, Occupy till I come. Now that's going to be our key phrase. Occupy till I come. Verse 15. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded those servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money, and that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in very little, thou hast authority over ten cities. And you know the rest of the story. It's fairly well known. The next servant gained five for the one pound that he was given, and he was so rewarded. But then there was a third servant that came, and he said he didn't invest his pound, and therefore he was not rewarded. In fact, he was actually divested of the pound, and that was given to another one instead. Now, the truth to be seen in this story that Jesus tells is that while the master is away, good stewardship of what he leaves with in the hands of those servants is expected, and that will be rewarded when the master returns. So stewardship is summed up in that expression, occupy till I come. So let's look at that as the next thing we do while we wait. Item number turn, we occupy until our Savior returns. We occupy. Now, unfortunately, as you can tell, I'm reading a ver different version than what some of you are probably reading. Uh, are there, I, I, I'm, I'm King James convenient because I grew up, I cut my teeth on convenient, <laughs> so I'm not a King James only guy, uh, but I'm King James convenient. <laughs> uh, anyone else King James version today? Everyone else is different. You probably didn't even have the word occupy then, correct? Okay, good. That's, then I didn't misunderstand my audience. <laughs> um, and it's not terribly helpful here. 
the, the command occupy doesn't get the best meaning. Um, in fact, in church planting and church health, when we use the word occupy, it's usually not very motivational or appealing. <laughs> um, have you ever heard the phrase, are you a believer that occupies a pew? Okay, <laughs> that's usually not in a positive context, okay? <laughs> that is not a good thing. Um, uh, is my use of occupy perceived as positive or negative? Well, that's usually a negative. Well, the Lord obviously is not using the word that way here. Uh, the new versions do, do better with this word. Uh, some of the modern translations I found, engage in business. You see that one? Okay. Do business in some cases. And NIV, which is exactly my favorite translation, they actually do a pretty good job with this one. Put this money to work. That's good. That's actually the idea. Okay, that works here. Uh, so occupy is not a stagnant word. It's actually a word about productivity. It's about conducting profitable stewardship of the assets that we have. So here's the story. Uh, the nobleman gave each of these 10 servants the same amount of investable resource. He gave them a pound or a mina or mina, however you pronounce that. Um, and that would be roughly equivalent to like 100 days wage. So this was no small thing that was given to each of these servants. The master then travels to a far country. He's going to receive a kingdom. He's going to be made a king. So basically, he leaves in the condition of being a nobleman, but when he returns, he comes back as a king. Okay, so when he arrives back as this king, he calls his servants forward to account for their stewardship. First one appears, demonstrated that his one pound gained 10 more. I mean, the guy, a thousand percent. Uh, stewardship, and he was rewarded accordingly. The next one appeared and demonstrated his pound, uh, what, what produced five more, 500% in stewardship. He was rewarded. But the next one appears and explains that out of fear of putting the pound at risk, he decided to fold it into a napkin, bury that pound till the king returned. That servant was not rewarded. In fact, that one pound that he was given was taken from him and given to the servant that was most productive. These servants were all given a specific responsibility to fulfill while their master was away. In other words, waiting for him to return was to be spent in productive, fruitful stewardship of the trust that was given to them. And that's what it means to occupy Occupy till he comes. Demonstrate productive, fruitful stewardship of the trust that you've been given. A very significant lesson in this parable is about what to do while we wait on the Lord. As believers, we all have been given an amazing set of investable assets. You and I, we all of us have a, a, a veritable inventory of spiritual wealth. And it's not to be laid up in napkins. Instead, it's to be invested for gospel enterprise. It's, it's to be invested in ministry business. Let me run down the list of things that every one of us has. First of all, we've been given a stewardship of the gospel itself. You, if you're saved, you heard the gospel and you, you believed on the truth of that message. You believed in Jesus Christ because that you obeyed that gospel. You put faith in Christ, you obeyed that gospel. We have that message of truth and it's invested in us. And we, we know like Paul that we're earthen vessels, we're clay pots, but it still was given to us. That's an investment, that's a stewardship. You have your personal testimony. If you know Jesus Christ, you know how it is. You know the story of how he brought, him, brought you to himself. You have your unique story to share with others. 
You have individual equipping. You have your spiritual gifts. You have your own talents. You have your own skills. You have your own base of earthly resources. You have your things. You have your finances. You have service outlets. You have ministry programs. You have personal interests. You have energy to spend on the activities that you love. And you have time. You have time for prayer. You have time for communicating. You have time for good deeds. You have time for kindnesses. All of these things, every one of us has a roster of things of which we are stewards, stewards of all those things. And all of these things are to be invested. If you will, that is the summary, that is the pound that our noble master has assigned to us, and we are to be fruitful stewards of those things. We are to do business. We are to occupy by putting all of those things to work so that our pound becomes ten more or five more or at least gets interest in the bank for more investment. Somehow it is to produce. Our noble Lord, he left 2,000 years ago. A day is coming when he will return as the King of kings, Lord of lords. What we do while we wait is occupy. We do business with our spiritual assets producing spiritual fruit. And the servants that did in that story, they were rewarded. The third one, though, he received only shame. He had no fruit. That was shameful enough. But then he lost the one pound that he had, and it was given to another, and that compounded his shame. Another old hymn says, Let us labor for the Master from the dawn to setting sun. Let us talk of all his wondrous love and care. Then when all of life is over and our work on earth is done and the role is called up yonder, I'll be there. While we wait, we occupy by doing great commission business for God. That's the second thing we do while we wait. Now, turn with me to one of the greatest chapters in all of Scripture, and that's Romans chapter 8. I once did a, a very uh, topical series on the ten greatest chapters in Scripture. Genesis 1, Acts 2, Isaiah 53, Psalm 23, which we sang today. Romans 8, got to be in your top 10, that's for sure. It's a jam-packed passage of Scripture. For this point, let's go to verses 22 to 25. What we do while we wait. Verse 22. We know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for what a man seeth, why doth yet he hope for it? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Okay. What do we see here? Our waiting is specifically mentioned twice. In verse 23, we are waiting for our adoption, specifically the redemption of our bodies. And in verse 25, we're waiting for the completion of our hope. We're waiting for the day that our adoption is finalized. Okay, so when this passage uh, exhorts us here, what it's doing to exhort us is what to do while we wait. Item number three, stay focused on our future redemption. Stay focused on our future redemption. Notice here, Paul is writing, and he observes that the whole creation groans 
and travails in pain together until now. I mean, he practically wrote the headlines today. I mean, listen to the groaning. I mean, the pandemic hits, and I swear, ever since then, we've been groaning. Even now that it's passed, we're groaning, we're travailing. We were before, but now it's really got an accent to it. Uh, you hear any groaning or travailing? Uh, we're, we're, it's already ramping up. We're a year away from an election, and both sides are groaning and travailing. Are, are you exhausted yet? I know I, know I am, yeah. Uh, they don't have, neither one has the answer. We already know the answer. It's the truth, like, past, like Brother Jim told us today, the truth of Jesus Christ. But that's another sidelight. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm not even talking about the inconveniences or the discomforts, which are we all bear. I'm far more concerned about the risk and the plight of being afflicted in this life that we have right now. Many of us have lost loved ones, whether it's personal family or friends, whether it's a Christian loved one, a neighbor, a co-worker. We've all gone through tragedies in that way. And I want you to take note that the groaning and travailing in verse 23 is actually legitimate groaning and travailing. Paul identifies with it. He even says, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves are groaning. This is part of what it is to live in this sin-cursed world. We're going to groan, we're going to travail. Our bodies aren't getting any younger and they're not getting healthier. Even if we make some kind of progress, you know what the end game is? Well, it is what it is. Our bodies are going to break down, our bodies are going to collapse, and one day our bodies are going to succumb. It's just a reality. All we can do is write out the days. But if we focus on our earthly frailty, and we are frail, what we're always going to see is brokenness and demise. And frankly, if that is all we see, we get the conclusion of the Ecclesiastes book, and that's all of life is groaning and travailing. Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. Well, that's because you have a an under-the-sun perspective, and that's all you're going to see is groaning and travailing. But as I said, Paul identifies with the groaner. We ourselves groan within ourselves. So if Paul identifies with the groaner, and he does so without any apology here, then it's not wrong to groan. Please understand in this context, it's not wrong to groan. Um, Because when suffering takes place and our bodies are going to suffer, we can't help it. We can't help it. We, We groan and travail. And part of the blessed promise of being saved, according to this passage, is the redemption of our bodies, our physical frames, everything about our physical existence. We are going to be saved from the afflictions that evoke the groaning. Praise God. We're saved from the penalty of sin, right? Because Jesus settled that debt. We're saved from the power of sin by being made new creatures. We live victoriously in this life. But you and I are not yet saved from the presence of sin. That's still to happen. We are awaiting the renewal from the effects of the curse. And on that day, we will be physically redeemed, a brand new resurrection body that, praise God, is never going to groan or travail. That is great news. (laughs) So what do we do while we wait for that day? Just keep groaning and travailing? Well, We can't stop the afflictions. That's true. They just are not to be the object of our focus. We can't halt them. 
We're going to catch viruses. We're going to suffer cancers. We're going to face heart conditions and tumors and tragic accidents. And if you don't already recognize it, you might as well hear it be said, we will lose one another. But here's the thing. Not one of these afflictions changes what we wait for. Our future redemption is as certain a hope as if it were in our hands this very day. And so while we wait, we may groan in affliction, but our sights are not on affliction. While we wait on the Lord, we stay laser-focused on our future redemption. When that is true for us, every pain, every travail, that's just one more deposit to our hope chest that we get to open on Resurrection Day. You know, focusing on our future redemption, it's going to have a poignant impact on the present witness while we went in the Lord. Um, as you know, in my own health journey, uh, I, was, I had a, a, a year dealing with cancer. Uh, I was in, in remission. I'm now declared cancer-free. But I remember the day that we learned, Linda and I learned about my situation. I want you to know we travailed. I had to go through an emotional journey about accepting my circumstances, and I'm very thankful that I quickly came to a vital conclusion. I had no guarantees about being cured. I had no guarantees about living. No matter what happened, though, healing or not, I made a determination to walk my journey in the right way. I kept my focus on a redemption day and not on my affliction. And perhaps the Lord would be merciful. Perhaps he would not uh, aid me in recovery. If he instead chose to receive me to myself, then I wanted at least to know that every person who saw me in travail, that they would know where my hope was fixed. I wanted my kids to know that. I didn't want them to see a dad who got bitter. I didn't want them to see a dad who got upset or uh, uh, depressed. Uh, I wanted them to realize that no matter what the outcome was, uh, if the Lord strengthens me and raises me back to health, praise God, and they want him to be glorified. If he doesn't, I still want him to be praised and glorified. And the way I figured it, that was a win-win situation. My witness to my family, to the medical teams, to the host of praying churches and Christian people, frankly, all around the world for me, anyone who now asks me of a reason for the hope that's within me, it, the Lord has kept me here a little longer. I'm thankful for that. And so that means there must be more for me to do while I'm waiting. Well, whatever that's to be, I have to do it knowing full well that my lens has redemption day in my sight. And that's the focus we need to have. And since we're on that topic of Redemption Day, let's look at our last passage, 1 Thessalonians 4. I think you've been here recently, if I'm not mistaken. Well, let's go back there again. Chapter 4, go down to verse 15. One more discussion about what to do while we wait. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That last verse is what we are to do while we wait. We enhearten one another with the promise of his appearance. You see, there's a culmination to the groans and the travails that we experience while we wait on the Lord. 
And the culmination, of course, is the fact that our earthly lives are going to come to a conclusion. One of the earliest psalms was written by Moses, I think it's Psalm 90, in which he records, The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. One of the harshest travails we experience is the loss of our loved ones who, who precede us in passing through the veil. On one hand, we rejoice because those who die in faith enter the presence of the Lord. They're not suffering. <laughs> they, they are, they're in glory. They're, they're celebrating in the presence of Jesus. We're the ones behind. Uh, we're, 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 we're the ones that groan and travail with their absence. And Paul wrote about this to the Thessalonian believers because remember that he'd only spent as little as a few weeks, probably closer to a few months, but he was only with the Thessalonian believers for a very short time before he had to be hastened out of town in light of some persecution that was threatening him. And so he was laboring for them, or a burden for them rather, because of the fact that he had, did not get the time to spend with them to invest in their spiritual lives. That short space made him very concerned that they would quickly fall away. And one of the things that happened is that in the, in the time that he spent with them, he didn't cover all the ground in their spiritual walk that they needed to. These Thessalonian believers knew in the faith they had not yet learned what would be true about loved ones who did die in the faith. And Paul says in verse 13, he didn't want them to be ignorant. He didn't want them to be without knowledge. And that implies they didn't yet understand about that fact, what would be the destiny of a departed believer. And so he, you know, here they are. Imagine going through trials. Imagine as a believer's suffering persecution and such, but you're doing it all along with the premise that the Lord is going to return and he's going to redeem us from our troubles. So while we wait, we keep looking for his return. That part we have covered. But as that time progresses, as the Lord tarries, suddenly some of those believers start passing on without seeing the fulfillment of that promise. In other words, people die in the faith and Jesus hasn't come back yet. That alone stirs up their questions and their fears. Since they passed on, are they voided from the promises? Do they miss redemption day? What's to become of their bodies now that they've gone into the grave? Those were the questions that the Thessalonians were asking. And so they needed help. And that's why Paul wrote about the rapture. In verse 13, he said, I don't want you to sorrow as those who have no hope. You have hope, and here's why. Verse 14, those who sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Verse 15, we who are alive at the coming of the Lord will not prevent or precede them who have died. Verse 16, the Lord will descend with a shout, the voice of the archangel and trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Take note of that. He's answering that question. Those who've passed away don't have to apply for a special exception. They don't have to go into heaven through a different process. They don't get admitted through a different gate. The fact is, they rise first. They rise even before those who are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord. Those who have died in faith in Christ actually go to the front of the line. 
Then, verse 17 starts, then we which are alive and remain will be caught up to them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another and hearten one another with these words. Part of what we do while we wait is we keep each other reminded of what is going to happen on the day when the trumpet sounds for us. Those of us who have lost a beloved one, they may be asleep in Jesus, but rejoice that they get cuts on Redemption Day. Praise God. They go to the front of the line. That's not going to fill the void that they once occupied in our hearts. That's part of life's groaning and travailing. But we keep the end game in view because those groans and travails, those are tears which are one day going to get wiped clear to fall from our eyes never again. And what's more, when Paul wrote about the rapture to the Corinthians in chapter 15, you don't need to turn there, he connected that resurrection truth to our service in this life. Because it's in verse 58, that after he's explained how our mortal is going to put on immortality, how our corruption is going to be replaced with incorruption, that's when he wraps it all up and says, Therefore, because of that reality, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Our destiny as enraptured beings gives us comfort. It urges us to continue serving the Lord to bring forth fruit for the work of the Lord. And there you have it. That's what we're to do while we wait. So let's reread David's words. Wait on the Lord be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. The bridegroom comes, and we, the church of God, the bride is awaiting his return. He is the king, and we're his servants, and we await our sovereign's coronation. So while we wait, we know what we are to do. We purify ourselves even as he is pure. We occupy by doing His fruitful business. We stay focused on Redemption Day, not distracted by our travails. And we give heart to each other because when one of us despairs, we comfort that heart and we lift up the heads, as Luke says, because our redemption draws nigh. Let's pray. Father, what a fantastic grid that you show to us from these various passages as we string these realities together you give us a, a, a miniature worldview in regard to what's ahead for us and how it changes us today we acknowledge that these are promises that these are the the package of our hopes for the future and we do have to look off on the horizon to know that those are coming. It may be a very near horizon. We pray that it is. Even so, come Lord Jesus. But in the gap between our present position and that point on the horizon, there are things for us to do while we wait. Embed these four realities into our minds. Let us live by that grid and be confident at your appearing, not ashamed. Be ready to present the fruit of our stewardship and not come to you empty-handed. And may you realize those hopes and erase all of the worries and the thoughts and, and just cast all our travails and groanings into a sea of forgetfulness. And then, Lord, give us encouragement 
knowing that even those who have preceded us in, going, in, in sleeping in Christ, we're going to see them again, and we're going to be together with you for eternity. And keep us comforted with these words. We ask these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.